Welcome to Money for the Rest of Us, a personal finance show on money, how it works, how to invest it, and how to live without worrying about it. I'm your host, David Stein, and today is episode 119. It's titled, Investing Won't Make You Rich. I recently received an email from Casey. Casey's a member of the Money for the Rest of Us hub, and he owns several commercial printing operations. He started in commercial printing as a janitor out of high school, and he says he took the long, long route to business success. He worked in a commercial printing warehouse, then production, customer service, sales, middle management, executive management, and then in the spring of 2008, as the great financial crisis hit, he used his home equity and savings to purchase a piece of his boss's printing business. In 2011, he and his partners bought out the founding partner by taking out a $2.5 million small business association loan. Since then, he and his partners have bought two more commercial printing businesses. He writes, quote, The bottom line is my bank account has swelled in the last couple of years as I've moved from longtime employee to small businessman. Casey asked if he should continue to prioritize small business opportunities or shift capital into investing in traditional financial markets. He and his two partners are looking at some locally-based opportunities, including a beauty trade startup, a what he calls a chaotic organic coffee company, and an established printing company. Now, that's Casey. He also met a local business operator here in Idaho. He mentioned how he had lost 40% of his investment portfolio in the market crash of 2008. So after that, he got disenchanted with investing, and he went out and he bought a business that sells snow cones at corporate events. He later bought an elderly care center and is looking at potentially buying into a commercial battery operation. He is convinced he can do better buying local businesses than investing in traditional financial markets. I have another friend, Miranda. She's a personal finance writer, and she also owns her own business. She has no employees and writes for numerous clients and works as a brand ambassador. Her business model differs from the commercial printer and the snow cone entrepreneur in that she values the flexibility to travel and work from anywhere. Now, all three of these businesses differ, but they have one thing in common. They all require huge amounts of time to operate. They involve personal commitment and risk to be successful. Owning and running a business is the best way I know to build wealth. Very few people build wealth from investing. Hence the title, you will not get rich investing. Even successful investors such as hedge fund managers have built the bulk of their wealth, not from the actual investment returns, but from the management fees and the 20% cut, what's known as carry, they get of their clients' investment gains. In other words, they built most of their wealth from their investment businesses, not from the actual investing. What is the purpose of the financial markets? It's to preserve wealth, not to grow wealth. And what are we trying to preserve wealth from? From inflation. Preserving wealth means a dollar today will have the same purchasing power as a dollar 10 or 20 years from now. 
Now, ideally, as savers and investors, we can earn a few percentage points above inflation that will contribute to our wealth, but those few percentage points alone will not build substantial net worth. What builds wealth is having an income stream that is generated in the real economy, either from a business or a profession, and then living below our means so that we can save a large portion of those earnings and profits, and then preserve them by investing in public and private markets. Casey in his email mentioned he doesn't have any type of informational edge to invest in the stock market. And neither do I. And probably either do you. But you don't need a competitive edge to preserve wealth. You just need to understand the math and the emotion of investing. By math, I mean understand the mechanics of what drives asset class returns. How bond returns are primarily driven by current interest rates. How stock returns are driven by dividend yields and corporate profit growth. How real estate returns are driven by rents. In other words, the math of investing involves understanding how a particular security or asset class generates cash flow. Business owners and buyers do the same thing. How does a business generate cash flow? I'm sure that Casey, as he he and his partners are looking at these businesses, he's looking at cash flow statements, income statements, trying to figure out how the businesses create cash flow. Now, the motion of investing is about understanding how investors are valuing those cash flows. When investors put a high value on investment cash flows, bidding up security prices, then subsequent returns will be lower. When investors are fearful and place a low value on an investment's expected cash flow, then subsequent returns will be higher. And this is that third leg when we talked about the math of the drivers of stock returns. We have the dividend yield. We have the corporate profit growth. But then we have the emotion, the price. What are investors valuing those earnings at? And if, those, if that price-to-earnings ratio is high, then the potential return is going to be lower than when the, the P-E ratio, the price-to-earnings, what investors are, are buying, what are they paying for dollars of the earnings when they're low, then the expected returns will be higher. So we have to combine the math with the emotion. Now, another aspect of emotion is controlling our own emotion as investors. We need to look at the investment math and the investor's emotional state, and that's what I call investment conditions. When we talk about investment conditions on the Money for the Rest of Us Hub, we're looking at the, the math. We're looking at the valuations. We're looking at the economic trends, but we're also looking at the market eternals the level of fear and greed, the momentum, the trend. These are the emotional aspects. But we need to look at them objectively and then make investment decisions without getting caught up in the hype and fear that drive other investors into a frenzy or a panic. So to answer Casey's question, what should he do with the capital accumulating in his bank account? The capital he wants to preserve should go, to, should go into financial investments. That should be investing. His paper assets or his private assets, they can be real assets or hard assets, but that is capital you're trying to preserve. The capital you want to grow, you invest in your 
business. Now, over the, the course of one's life, if you have a successful business, you do need to make the transition to preserve some of that capital. I'm aware of a situation where a, an individual has had a business, they've run it for years, and they have gotten a very, very serious illness. And my understanding is they've not made enough of that transition from taking capital out of their, out of their business in order to preserve it. And think about if you, you're running a business and all your capital is still in this business and you get sick. And, and you're not in a position to, to transition out. That, that, that's just not the kind of stress you want when you're ill. You need to have capital that you preserved at the same time you're growing your business. Now, some people don't invest in, in the financial markets because they don't think they're safe. So they would prefer to invest in a business because they feel like there's more control there, that they, that they are able, it's safer because they have the control. And the reality is business is not safer than financial investing, if you do it right, if you understand the, the math and the emotion and the objective, which is to preserve wealth, then investing is safer than owning a business at least starting a business, because there it's a concentrated bet, whereas investing is diversified. Now, I think most people should and can do both, but we have to understand the roles. I know farmers that are so uncertain about the financial markets that they go out and they build a super huge house, and that is where they're trying to preserve the wealth. I don't think that's the best idea. I think everyone can learn to invest. And let me share or just reiterate some principles I've taught on the podcast. If you've never invested before, if you're a beginning investor, or if you're, you're a more experienced investor, these are important things to know. I've mentioned that after I quit my job, I've taken up fly fishing. I used to fish really, when I was young, I fished pretend fish is what it was. Remember the game we had the stick and the magnet, and you'd pick up the little fish on the floor. I was really good at that game. But then when I was 8 or 9 or 10, I wanted to fish for real. And I didn't really have anyone. I think my dad took me fishing once that I recall. I don't remember catching anything. But I, afterwards, I went to Lake of the Woods. I had my rod. I had my hook. I had my bobbin, bobber. And I, you can tell what a great fisherman I am. I don't even remember what this is called, the floaty thing. And, and then I had my bait. What was my bait? Our bait, our preferred bait in, in Ohio was white bread smashed up against the hook. And you threw that out into the lake. I never caught anything. I didn't catch, and even I went on a youth trip to Canada for a week to catch northern pike. I didn't catch a fish. The first fish I ever caught, I was 30. And I was at one of my partner's house. He wasn't a partner yet. We weren't partners in this investment firm, but they were having a company outing. He had a pond in the back. It had, had some little fish in it. I took my, my oldest son and we threw the, the rod in that they had there and we caught a fish. Now, that was it. 30, the first time I caught a fish. But I, when I moved out to Idaho, I wanted to learn to fish and I didn't do it until four years ago. And the way that I learned is I've gotten a fishing mentor, somebody to teach me 
how to fish. And all the jargon went over my head after I did it the first time. Went up to Yellowstone, we fished. And they, they talked about PMD, they talked about caddis, they talked about tippet, leader, and, and all this stuff. I remember sitting in the campground in Yellowstone National Park and some fisherman was talking to my other fishing buddy and they were just using words. I had no idea what they were talking about. Investing can seem like that for people. And so we need to narrow it down and focus on the things we control. And the first thing you know, the first rule to investing if you're starting is to recognize nobody knows what's going to happen next. Let me pause here to share some words from this week's sponsors. What do companies like Ring, Hint, and Tagovas all have in common? They all use NetSuite to accelerate their growth. Successful companies know that in order to grow faster, you must have the right tools. Whether you're doing a million, 10 million, or hundreds of millions in revenue, NetSuite by Oracle gives you the tools you need to accelerate your growth. With NetSuite, you get a full picture of your business, finance, inventory, HR, customers, and more. It's everything you need to grow all in one place, right from your phone or computer. NetSuite will give you the visibility and control you need to make the right decisions and grow with confidence. That's why NetSuite customers grow faster than the S&P 500. NetSuite is the world's number one cloud business system, trusted by more than 19,000 companies. It's the last system you'll ever need. Schedule your free product tour right now and receive your free guide, Seven Key Strategies to Grow Your Profits, at netsuite.com slash david. That's netsuite.com slash david netsuite.com slash david nobody really has any idea from the, the smartest hedge fund manager to the mutual fund manager to central bank chair persons janet yellen they do not know we all sit there blind all we have is clues we can look at the conditions we can look at the math, but we don't know what's going to happen, which means you're on the exact same level as everyone else because nobody really knows. One of the, the, the paradoxes in investing as a professional investor is all my clients, and when you go out and hire somebody, you assume they know what's going to happen in the future, but the reality, they don't. And so when I go fishing up at Harriman State Park, there are, there are more skilled fisher fishermen, fisher people, and there are less skilled like me, but when we go out to the river, nobody knows what's going to happen. From day to day, it can be a completely different experience. Sometimes there's no bugs, sometimes there's bugs, sometimes there's bugs. The fish want to eat the bugs, sometimes they don't, and it's completely random. And that's one reason I like it, the unpredictability of it. So no one knows what will happen. Two, because no one knows what's going to happen, mistakes will happen. You're going to make a mistake investing. I make all kinds of mistakes fishing. I get my hook caught on. I, the other day I was out fishing on the Teton River near our farm. I got the hook stuck in my boot. I couldn't get it off. I needed to go to the shore. I mean, it's embarrassing. <laughs> you kind of walk the shore. You got the line. on, But I couldn't get over the shore because there was a boat coming down with uh, what appeared to be a very skilled woman, fisher person. Did they even say fisher people? I'm trying to be politically correct here. Anyway, somebody that fishes, and I let her go by, and I'm just trying to stand there looking like I really don't have this line tied around my foot, but I did. 
Letter went by and I got it. But you make mistakes fishing. And you're going to make mistakes investing. And, and everyone makes mistakes. And professional investors, they don't like to admit them. But that was my favorite question. When I would go and interview a hedge fund manager or some other investment manager that we were researching, I like to talk to them about their mistakes. So that, and, and give me an example of a mistake. What did you learn from it? And, and I'd like to see the transparency because everyone makes mistakes. You learn to forgive yourself and you move on. And you try to structure a portfolio. When we talk about investing as preserving wealth, we have to factor in the mistakes we're going to make so that we're not harmed by them. I've talked about this as capturing the upside, protecting against the downside. We build in buffers, redundancy, hedges. We use insurance. We live well below our means. We keep our debt to a minimum. These are things we do in order to protect ourselves against extreme events and mistakes we might make. In March, I took a drive with LaPrill, and we, we drove to Howe, Idaho, which is probably an hour from here, and then we turned right on this, on this dirt road. It's, the, it's called the Little Lost River Highway, and we went for probably another hour, and we found this pond. We hadn't seen it before, but it was a hot spring. And in this pond, and there's snow all around, because this was, this was March, there was still clumps of snow, there were tropical fish that people had put into this hot spring. And they were flourishing, these fish. And so we wanted to show our daughter and son this a month or so later. So we went up there, and I took my Tinkara fishing rod, because I thought it would be kind of fun to just fish to see if you could catch a fish with, with a fly. And I did. But you're never going to catch a big trout or even a small trout in this hot spring because conditions matter. That's the third thing you need to know about investing. We have to know what the conditions are. And if the conditions, and we talk about condition is what can you earn investing based on current conditions? And that takes us to the fourth rule, which I've already talked about, the math and the emotions. That's what we should focus on. We recognize that nobody knows what's going to happen. We're going to make mistakes, that we need to understand what the conditions are. And by conditions, we're looking at the math that's, that drives returns to help us formulate reasonable expectations. And we need to know the emotions. What are investors thinking? How exuberant are they? How fearful are they? What about our own emotions? And then we take all those and we focus on asset classes. That's what I focus on. Now, there's all kinds of ways to invest. I've been going back and forth with a listener, Alan, and, and he is investing in individual stocks. And he's having a ball at it, enjoying it, and, and, and learning. But I don't like to invest like that because the more specific the prediction when it comes to an individual company, the more likely I'm going to be wrong. And I don't like to invest in it because I don't want to spend all the time doing that. I would like to focus on the drivers of asset classes, understand the math and the emotion of asset classes, and then implement through exchange-traded funds or an index fund, sometimes an actively managed fund or a closed-end fund. But it's asset class focus. And that's, what, that, that's how I invest. And so when, if you're afraid to invest 
and so afraid that you would rather take the risk in buying a business because you're afraid of the markets than focus on those five things. And then perhaps what you need is, is a guide. Listen to podcasts like this. Perhaps maybe you hire a financial advisor to kind of walk you through or to teach you. Perhaps you become a member of the Money for the Rest of Us Hub, where I serve as a mentor and a guide. If I hadn't had my friend Dick to teach me to fish, I'm not sure I would ever learn because I'm still learning. And, and sometimes I still feel like I'm in over my head. Casey in his email said his use of the podcast and the materials in the Hub tends to involve binge listening. He's gone for months without listening, and then he'll get caught up over the weekend while he walks his dogs or drives to sales calls. He says he's focused on his real life, family life, work life, and then occasionally on his investment life. Yet he says that the theme of, of the show and on the hub of money, how it works, how to invest it, and how to live without worrying about it seems to fit well with his stage in life. His insight helps keep him connected to the economy and, as he says, offers some insulation from the furious calls to urgent action from market networks or doom and gloom forecasters. So he says, when I'm about to question why I pay a few hundred bucks a year to the money for the rest of us hub, I actually listen and I'm very appreciative of the work I do. Then he asked me an interesting question. He says, well, he says, I hope your business model is working for you and is still worth your time and efforts. I'm glad you don't muddy your advice with sponsorships and ad. And it was interesting that he talks about a business model. And about six months after I started the show, one of my former business partners said a similar question. He said, how's your business doing? And I thought to myself, I don't have a business. I just do a podcast, and I like to teach people about money and investing. But as I've done it, I realize, yeah, I have a business because a business is what is something that helps you preserve, grow your capital over time. The investing is what preserves it. Businesses and the cash flow grow it. And so, yeah, money for the rest of us is a business. And even though I'm primarily retired, it's a business because I get cash flow from it and I'm rewarded by my efforts. And so one of the things I've just, I'm releasing this week, and back in episode 33, I did a video on, or I did a, the show was on retire, to retire early, mind the gap. And I, I introduced a spreadsheet that members of the Free Insider's Guide got. And if you're not a member of the Insider's Guide, you can still get this spreadsheet. It's in the introductory email that you get, and you can get that by going to money for the rest of us. Dot net. Sign up there on the homepage. Or if you're a U.S.-based listener, you can just text the word INSIDER to the number 44222 and get signed up. But there I introduced this concept of mind the gap. And the gap is your annual return on your portfolio or on your net worth, less the inflation rate, less your annual spending rate. And so what percent of your portfolio or net worth did you spend that year? Now, this is, this is a calculation if you're retired or early retired, in my case. And so you're looking at the gap. And so I actually, this weekend, I took that spreadsheet and I calculated what I've spent of our portfolio. I've been, I quit my job four years ago. So I, first, I calculated the investment return I've earned over the past four years on my net worth. And I calculated inflation. And, and then I looked at what I was spending of the net worth. And you know what? 
I had a gap. It was negative. I was spending more than I'm earning after inflation. Now, part of that is my former company is still paying me every year. But when, when I see that, and, but then I, what I did is I went to the hub to the tools, and I, there's a spreadsheet on there where you can calculate your, your expected return of your portfolio. And then I factored in some of the next few payments I'm getting from my company, and then I figured out, okay, now here, this, this nest egg amount and this expected return and this spending rate, which now was closer to, to 3%, and this inflation, now what's the gap? And what I did, if you look at the spreadsheet, I wanted to see how many years my portfolio would last if I didn't earn another dollar. And, and this is a calculation I think everyone should do as you anticipate retirement. What can you earn investing? You have to have a realistic expectation and know what that number is. And what are you going to spend and if you assume 25 to 3% inflation, you can, you can do a simple spreadsheet, calculate how many years your portfolio will last. And I would encourage you to do that. That's part of understanding the math of investing. And it helps us get control of our emotion. It helped me feel better just going through the exercise. I hadn't done it in a while. And I realized that we're going to be okay. We're going to be okay. So you can get that spreadsheet by, by joining my Insider's Guide. That's free. It'll be in the email. Or if you're a member of the Money for the Rest of Us Hub, I'll be releasing a hub version of the spreadsheet and a video that describes it in more detail how to implement it, and that'll be released this week. You can get more information for that at moneyfortherestofushub.com. Now, business involves taking risk, even if it's a snow cone business. I mean, I saw this man's, the infrastructure he had. I mean, he had to put some capital up to invest. And there's risk, even if you're a solo business like me or like Miranda. And one of the risks I'm taking is I'm actually in the process of developing an app. I'm not going to develop myself, but working through my family members that are involved in the app development business, working with a development team. But part of business is getting iteration with your customers, shipping stuff and getting feedback. And the whole hub and the podcast to that extent has been a question of shipping getting feedback. And one of the feedback is people want to be able to listen to content on the Money for the Rest of Us Hub and the podcast. The podcast is really easy. There's a podcast app. But people want a podcast app, app for the Hub content. And so that's, that's a risk I'm taking. And I've gotten feedback. Don't do an app. It's, it's, it's a pain in the butt. But I, I think that it's something that will be a value to, and a convenience to, to my customers for my business. Now, even when I say that, it sounds weird. I have a business, and, and that's, that's the cool thing about business. It doesn't even have to feel like it. And when we've done the episode on why you need a lifestyle business, people need ways to generate cash flow even when they're retired because it's the cash flow that allows them to build their wealth over time. The investing is what allows them to preserve their wealth net of inflation. We always need to keep those two things in mind and keep the proper balance. And so that is episode 119. You can get show notes at moneyfortherestofus.net. I've mentioned the insider's guide. I've mentioned the money for the rest of us hub at moneyfortherestofushub.com. 
Everything I've shared with you in this episode has been for general education only. I've not considered your specific risk profile. I've not provided investment advice. This is simply general education on money, investing in the economy. Have a great week.